Hey there, Adam here. Before we begin, I'd like to warn listeners that this episode and film cover topics such as rape and sexual assault. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, and welcome to Raptor Reviews, a film discussion podcast of critical views by uncritical viewers. I'm your host, Adam Coley, and we will be discussing David Fincher's Gone Girl with our special guest, Sharon Suchecki. Happy to be here. We're talking about Gone Girl, the story of a media circus around a man accused of murdering his wife. With no body and plenty of missteps by husband Nick, played by Ben Affleck, the audience is left to question what, if anything, happened and who to trust. So, Gone Girl was directed by David Fincher, which, quick side note, the screenplay was actually written after David Fincher was selected to direct. So um, writer Gillian Flynn, who also wrote the book, actually went back and watched all of Fincher's movies as many times as she could so that she could kind of write a screenplay that would fit perfectly with Fincher's style. So the cast is Roseman Pike playing Amy Dunn, uh, Ben Affleck playing Nick Dunn, as well as Neil Patrick Harris and Tyler Perry and Carrie Coon playing Margot Dunn. So it won the People's Choice Award for the Best Thriller and a Critics' Choice Award for Best Adapted Screenplay for Gillian Flynn. So let's just jump right into it. Uh, David Fincher, when he was pitching this movie to Ben Affleck, um, referenced a National Lampoon record called That's Not Funny, That's Sick. Oh, hello there. I'm Newton Ames, talking to you on behalf of the Monolithic Oil Corporation about today's energy situation. You know, if we all just sacrifice a little, we can pull together to beat the current problems of not enough energy. And Monolithic is doing its part by killing most of the birds that nest around our beautiful oil refineries. Birds eat up a lot of food. And as everyone knows, food takes energy to grow and prepare. So the fewer birds there are, the less energy will be wasted. And that was intended to be the inspiration for Ben Affleck's performance. Uh, Fincher said something along the lines of, if you take this really seriously, it's just going to be a tragedy. but if you kind of look at it satirically, we can walk that satirical line. So watching this movie, did you did you see it as satirical? No, and it's funny. I think you mentioned when we were watching it, like, oh, we're on satire watch. And the only couple of times that I noticed was when they really were talking about media representation. Um, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think that's, that's true. Uh, what do you think the media did to seem so satirical? So... With the character of Ellen Abbott, who has, like, this local talk show, or it seems local, and uh, she's kind of an advocate for Amy in The Disappearance and is really going against Nick, Um, I think that her taking that stance, that makes sense. Um, But also, the way that it's perceived and the way that it's seen through the eyes of the characters, especially the character that I think the audience learns to trust the most which is the character uh, Margot, who plays uh, Ben Affleck's sister, yeah. who is Ben Affleck's sister. Um, I think that her watching that and kind of rolling her eyes at it, it just gives the the audience the chance to be like, oh, I, I don't trust this. <laughs> yeah, like an unreliable advocate. Right. I mean, she played up the whole, I mean, there's a scene where Nick is sitting in the airport and the, the news is on behind him and, and they talk about the relationship between Nick and Margot and some... You know, random bystander says twincest. Twincest. So, I mean, I, I don't think she specifically says that, but she's definitely playing up those kind of uh, almost, you know, 
fantasy angles because that's what people will talk about. You know, in, in those little, you know, grocery store tabloids, that's going to be the, that's going to be what they're going to play on. And that's, that's her bread and butter. It's unfortunate to me that um, the satire that David Fincher claimed that this uh, film was kind of going after um, is the the media representation of women defending women. Yeah. Again, going, you don't want to, I think it's a dangerous thing to make your advocates someone you're not taking seriously. And I mean, in this movie too, even Amy, when she's self-advocating is by, at least by the audience, not taken seriously because, you know, we've seen too much. Um, I think, you know, to say that something is satirical, I think you have a certain expectation. Like, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna laugh. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be in on the joke. Um, I think this movie kind of broadens what we consider satirical. You know, I think it's, it's kind of a dark twist on satire um, in a way that I think is, is kind of counterproductive. I agree. Yeah. So, I mean, speaking of, of counterproductive, potentially counterproductive, actually, do, <laughs> do you think this movie's more, um, is it is it a feminist movie or is it a misogynistic movie? So this film talks about important feminist issues, but it's brought at you through a lens of doubt and um, this this weird angle where you you victimize the the alleged uh, rapist, um, and I think that that's counterproductive to anything, <laughs> like, <For> like sure. <laughs> yeah. everything. Yeah, I mean, well, and and I mean, th- this happens to three different characters um, between Tommy O'Hare, Desi, and then Nick, um, where. The public perceives these three people as monsters where, I mean, Nick basically think commits a murder. They think that Tommy has has raped Amy and there were accusations made. And they think Desi also kidnapped and and, and raped Amy. So these were really, we're, we're meant to be sympathetic towards them. And I think the structure of the movie is really meant to reinforce that because for the first 45 minutes to an hour, I mean, we kind of think Nick did it too. He's really he's he's meant to seem guilty, right? Um, you know, and and because we're seeing tons and tons and tons of evidence, and we're also seeing the world through Amy's point of view because of her diary entries. I mean, she she says that Nick hits her, and she says that she feels like she has to buy a gun, and she says that she thinks he's gonna kill her. So we really are sympathetic to Amy. Plus, she she's not there. I mean, we we can't hear her voice other than something that was turns out to be heavily controlled, which is her diary, because you can write whatever you want in your diary. Um, that being said, once these men are, are created as victims, I think that's where the trouble really, really happens. Um, it's, it doesn't, it just seems, it seems like a big step back in, a, in an age where women's claims are being taken seriously, which is incredibly important. Right. Um, for the first time ever, women's claims are being taken seriously and women are coming forward um, with sexual assault allegations. So now more than ever, people are questioning them just because it's it's happening more often. Um, and it's unfortunate to me because um, the story um, of Tommy uh, raping Amy and then the, the story of Nick hitting Amy, those are things that actually happen. Yeah. A lot to women. Sure. Um, so the fact that this movie um, makes you sympathize with characters who are accused of this and makes you doubt a woman who has come forward to talk about it, it's just, it's, 
you're right. It's a huge step in the wrong direction. When you you see that in the narrative too, kind of at every point, uh, Detective Rhonda Boney, played by Kim Dickens, the whole time she's trying to give Nick the benefit of the doubt, but you know, eventually ends up arresting him, and then Amy shows up. And when Amy's in the hospital, still covered in blood, uh, giving uh, a statement about what happened to her, uh, Detective Boney is the one right there saying, ah, but, but, but about that murder weapon, and oh, can, can you go back? How did you get that? Or, or how did this happen? Or how did you come to find yourself in this circumstance? Or, you know, could you please provide details that will corroborate your story? But I got away and ran to the kitchen, and he clubbed me. That club was actually the handle to a Punch and Judy puppet. Right. Treasure hunt. I, uh, I'd hidden some puppets at Ghost. Then how did Desi have that handle? I just found it. It must have fallen off. But all the other detective looks at her like, what the fuck are you doing? Which is the way they should look at her, but the audience is in her camp, you know? So I, I think... You're meant to see things from the point of view of a doubter in these situations. And, and that just, I mean, that goes back on all the progress we've made. And there's still a long way to go, but, you know, it's, this is a step in the wrong direction. I think it's also interesting that um, the role of Detective Boney is, is played by a woman, and that's great. And she's this really strong character throughout the entire film. You really like her. Um, and then she's in this moment where she has to be the one questioning a woman coming forward. It does nothing for today's society to see a woman question another woman coming forward about being raped and battered. Like that, that's not productive. And it makes me question the the, the whole purpose of this film. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, kind of going back a little bit, even if this was satirical, um, I think it's important to question the purpose of a satire. Who's the joke in this, you know? Is it, is it everybody who fell for Amy's antics? Is it Amy herself as like, you know, the kind of, I'm using air quotes, you can't see them, but like the crazy bitch, you know, like where everything she says, where she makes some fairly incredible points, is the joke that that can be just tossed aside because, you know, because she's setting up this incredibly elaborate and dastardly plan to ensnare all of these men, you know? Right. Even saying that, just, it sounds, it sounds wrong. It sounds like we're expected to take someone who should be seen as a victim and then saying, mm, you know, let's, let's, let's talk about your story. Like, this is like the way, it, it's like playing out what's been done, like the status quo in law enforcement and in media. You know, it, it's like, this is like heralding back to a time where things were a lot simpler for everyone else except for the person who was just raped. And making it necessary for the plot. So like them questioning Amy, or I'm sorry, just Detective Boney questioning Amy is imperative to the plot. Yeah. And you you as an audience member, you want that to happen because you know everything. But yeah. that's not usually the case. Like it's it's unfortunate that women come forward today and are, are asked those kinds of questions and are confronted with doubt immediately. So watching a movie where I'm happy that a woman is being doubted and I exist in this world as a woman yeah. it's just it's difficult for me like I really I really dislike it yeah it, it definitely leaves it's it's not like it's not acceptable right you know? um, <laughs> not to mention when detective Boney is there questioning every single thing that Amy says 
every single other detective in the room is a man who is like, stop, lady, don't question this woman. You, you, you need to, you know, you need to be appropriate. You need to respect, you need to respect what she's been through. And so that's still a group of men telling a woman not to behave, which is a theme in this movie. Right, and it's, it's messed up that we're laughing about this. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. <laughs> definitely laughing at how shitty it is. <laughs> Please give, give us some credit. Um, like, I mean, for instance, it's uh, Desi who, when basically Amy's whole plan falls apart when she doesn't respond to her fake name at, at a hotel where she's staying to people who are kind of been through a same similar thing to the, what she's saying she went through. Right. Um, she's not responding to her fake name, and then she drops a whole bag of money. She gets mugged, loses everything, and then runs back to her millionaire boyfriend from high school or college, Desi. Um, one of the first thing he does is says, you can be safe, you can be comfortable, I'll protect you. You are more than safe. And I am not letting you get away again. Decent clothes. Hair dye, makeup, tweezers. There's a gym overlooking the lake. The sooner you look like yourself, the sooner you'll feel like yourself. I want the old you back, and I'm not letting you go again. So, you know, for me, that's like safety is control. Right. I mean, there's a lot of things. Everything is control. Like, having a child is a, a form of control in this movie. The, con the confines of marriage is control in this movie. Um... What you say to the media is a way of controlling other people. What you write is control. I mean, it's it's a movie about controlling the narrative, which controls everybody else. Right, which I think you may have stumbled onto the point of this movie. Uh, oops, oopsie. <laughs> yeah, whoops. <laughs> and here I was thinking there wasn't one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so this power struggle between Amy and, and Nick through the entire film, it's it's both of them trying to say their truth, which Amy, we realize about halfway through, was not the truth. Yeah. <laughs> and then um, we start to believe Nick more. And I, I think it's interesting how the truth um, is brought up a lot. Uh, when Nick is talking to Tyler Perry's character, uh, Tanner Bolt, um, and T Tanner's saying, uh, we need to be careful about what we are saying. Nick, this case is about what people think of you. They need to like you. Now you do this and you will reach millions of those people. And Nick goes back and says, the truth will, uh, the truth is my defense, yeah. is what he says. And um, I think that that's interesting because you, there are so many hidden truths with like marriages and uh, any relationship. So like the perspective of Amy's diary, which I think we have to see as like a character that lies to us sometimes. Yeah, yeah, that's good um, yeah it's, it's, it's tough because um, you really believe it because that's a believable story. So it's, it's again, and I feel like we're gonna just say this a lot, is this does nothing yeah. for, for the world. It doesn't, it doesn't serve any purpose, but you're right, controlling the narrative is definitely the point of this film and that people will do almost anything to control the narrative. And that's saying, I think, that faking your own death and uh, accusing people of rape and battery is going a bit far, but that's it's interesting that that's actually something that a lot of people will do just about anything, is, is they're going to control the way that the world sees them and that their partner sees them. Sure. Which I think that's also a theme that's in the film. Definitely. Um, 
you, I think you have an interesting point when you were talking about the um, the diary being like a character that we can't trust. And as you were saying, that, I was thinking how um, there is this movie has kind of a lack of a narrator except for the diary. And there's only two times where the where it's narrated. Right at the beginning, when Nick's character was talking about like the truth as someone who is kind of on the you know he he is the truth in this movie, which is ridiculous the ugly truth the ugly truth uh, yeah the ugly truth but the truth nonetheless because right. i mean up until this point he never he never he left details out but he never specifically lied that i can think of um he didn't mention that he was having an affair he didn't mention that he knew his wife's best friend he didn't mention um you know there's a lot of stuff he didn't mention but he didn't necessarily lie about it and, and you know at the you know behest of his lawyer he was going to come forward about a lot of this stuff on, on national TV. Um, so, you know, that's the one narrator. And the other narrator, which is far more trustworthy until she's not, is Amy in her diary. You know, so it's, the audience is kind of part of that narrative control in a way, because we're manipulated, you know, back and forth. It really is, it's like, it's a game of tennis. And we're just, you know, you ever see that, like, a, like a cartoon of people watching a tennis game, their head is whipping back and forth, back and forth. That's, that's us. And, and, you know, I think, and, the ball would be kind of being media savvy and how you use the media. <laughs> right. Um, and so like, like I think in, in the broadest of terms, the power of media and its influence over the general population, I think that's the point. But the vehicle is just so dangerous. You know, it's, it doesn't match the tone. It doesn't match the tone. It's irresponsible. And there were, there's other ways to, to, um, criticize the media's control in society and i just think that they it was a big swing and a miss yeah yeah i, do too. <laughs> I mean and that's the thing is, is is this wasn't made today so let me ask you this do you think that this film could have been made today you know i don't think it could because i think the me too movement is a lot more developed today um and i think you know an somebody who is Basically, somebody who's been sexually assaulted has much more of a voice today. But the timing of the release of this movie really came very closely with some of the start of the major accusations that kind of started the Me Too movement on the on the track it's on. So this movie was released in October of 2014. And um, that same month of the same year, Hannibal Burris in a comedy sketch, made a comment about Bill Cosby being a rapist. So... I mean, that, I think that's one of the major turning points where people started talking about this in Hollywood. So this movie would have been made before that accusation was, but the, the timing is so, it, it's so precise that, you know, I think it came about at the birth of a movement, but at this point today, it, it wouldn't stand. It wouldn't. I don't think it would be tolerated. There would be rioting in the streets. For sure, and there's yeah. there should and be. And there is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Good especially. job. <laughs> yeah, so I I don't think it could be made today. I think it would. I, it's kind of a stretch that it was made when it was. I mean. I agree. I don't think it's fair to say bad timing because the the subject matter, the source material, both have some really really backwards overtones, but the timing was such that, you know, this came at the beginning of a conversation that has brought down some incredibly powerful abusers. I mean, Harvey Weinstein, Louis C.K. Um, yeah, so I, it's, it's kind of interesting to think of 
if this movie can survive at a different time. Because 2014 was not that long ago. I mean, that's only in four years, a lot has changed. Like, a lot has changed. And how we, how we look at um, accusations has changed a lot, too. Do you think that this movie shaped how we look at accusations? If it did, I would have been concerned. <laughs> so, to the average viewer, do you think that they're watching this and thinking, oof, this is this is rough? Or I, This movie was critically acclaimed. A lot yeah. of people love this film. Um, it's a well-done film. It's a pretty film. I enjoyed watching it. And that's it. the worst part, is that <laughs> we're, we were both saying, wow, that makes me... Especially uh, Tommy O'Hare gave a, gave a, had a conversation with Nick at one point, and the whole time both of us were cringing because yeah. <laughs> it was incredibly... I mean, he used the term she was begging for it. Right. You know, and I mean, it was just a, a brutal thing to listen to. But he was falsely accused, you know? Or, right. Or... It's just, it's, I think to the average viewer, this would be a movie and be like, it would basically be, she's crazy. Look at, look at her being manipulative. Cause I mean, she is being crazy and manipulative, but her, her, her precise timeline on how to get away with what she was doing is not something that at all anybody can say reflects the average case of someone who makes an accusation of being, of being raped. You know, that's not. That's not a reflection of the way things are. I mean, it's not reality. And I think a lot of people would come away with this thinking that it is reality. I agree. And I think that that's, that goes back to my question, does it shape how people look at accusations? Like, in a way, in the back of their head, there's still that scene where they're watching the character of Amy inflicting injuries on herself that are, con- like... Consistent with... That are consistent with sexual assault. And I think that it's even that image being in my head and knowing that that was fake. Yeah. I I don't trust the average viewer to not think back on that image when someone comes forward with sexual assault. And I think that that's, there's this, there's a conversation about the things that we allow into um, our life and the the images that we allow. Um, and there, there's always been talk about like violence in the media and, um, you know, just like kids growing up seeing things like this. And it's just me. I mean, I, I trust myself to not (laughs) doubt anyone coming forward about sexual assault, but also I I still, am going to think about that character and I'm going to think about that moment. So I don't. Yeah. And there's a lot, uh, there's a lot of power in physical evidence, you know, uh, um, that can be a person's you know, greatest tool, uh, aside from now, thankfully, their story. Um, but that's that's incredibly valuable to someone who's been through a traumatic experience like this. And to to leave even a kind of a grain of a truth or a thought, I should say, like a grain of a thought that that physical evidence could be fabricated. It's just that's not what you want people thinking. This whole movie um, just gave the audience seeds for doubt. Yes. In sexual assault cases. Definitely. Which is the last thing that this world needed when people who have been convicted and of sexual assault are already out walking the streets. Yeah. Like, that's that's just the last thing that our society needed. Well, on top of what it does to, um, you know, people who have been assaulted, there's also... Amy gives this speech about uh, kind of like the cool girl. Nick loved a girl I was pretending to be. Cool girl. Men always use that, don't they, as their defining compliment. She's a cool girl. 
Cool girl is hot. Cool girl is game. Cool girl is fun. Cool girl never gets angry at her man. She only smiles in a chagrin, loving manner, and then presents her mouth for fucking. She likes what he likes, so evidently, he's a vinyl hipster who loves fetish manga. If he likes girls gone wild, she's a mall babe who talks football and endures buffalo wings at Hooters. When I met Nick Dunn, I knew he wanted cool girl. And for him, I'll admit, I was willing to try. I wax strip my pussy raw. I drank canned beer watching Adam Sandler movies. I ate cold pizza and remained a size two. I blew him, semi-regularly. I lived in the moment. I was fucking game. But, you know, in her speech, she's making f incredible points about how there are there are roles in relationships that women are expected, but both by society and by men, to play. You know, there's the cool girl, there's the, you know, there's the mall girl, and it, it's, a woman has to, uh, to shape herself based on what a man wants. And that, that's true. That's 100% true. But do you think it, it hurts that argument that Amy was making when at the same time she is, she's doing what she's doing? I think it strengthens that argument. And we never talk about it in other language than, oh, she's this, I'm using air quotes, but you can't see, crazy <laughs> bitch. Um, and I, I think she actually did have some kind of history of mental illness. Yeah. And it's never talked about in the movie. So her taking on these roles and relationships, I think that it's not just the norm where I'm going to impress this new person that I really like. I think it's actually something where it, there's a little bit of delusion there. Yeah. So I think that her making that speech, while it's a lot of great points and I'm sure a lot of people can relate to it, it's it's just so it's so sad to watch because I don't think that she can help it. Well, yeah, and I mean, there's a from a from a thematic element, there's a precedent set. I mean, she's the subject of the Amazing Amy books her, <laughs> her parents wrote. She even talks about one point about how she wasn't doing things that Amazing Amy would do. Amazing fucking Amy is getting fucking married. That's how the night started. With me, regular, flawed, real Amy. Jealous, as always, of the golden child. Perfect, brilliant, amazing Amy who's getting fucking married. When I was 10, I quit cello. In the next book, Amazing Amy became a prodigy. You play volleyball? I got caught freshman year. She made varsity. Why didn't you have a dog? She got the dog. Puddles made her more relatable. Wow. I love your parents, but they really can be assholes. Amazing Amy was a prodigy, like they said, and she wasn't necessarily. So I think she was expected to be a certain something, and if she wasn't, that's okay, we'll just write a book about what we wanted you to be. So I think she's always been expected to play a role. Right. I love that line, Amazing Amy was always one step ahead of me. I'm curious whether it's difficult for you to see Amazing Amy heading down the aisle, and this big party celebrating this fictional wedding. Because it's my understanding you are not married. Is that correct? Correct. Amazing Amy has always been one step ahead of me. That was, I mean, that was just so, that was so damn true, yeah. you know? And I, I can't imagine living, living a life where a fictional me is better than the real me, or at least better based off of the opinions of your parents. 
Right. So in the film, we see that the character of Amy has, like, this traumatic upbringing where she's constantly being compared to a fictional version of herself, and yet that's never discussed in the film. She's been kidnapped, and they're not wondering about her mental state other than, like, does she do drugs or does she drink? So I think that that's a part that they really, they owed to us as the audience to to look into because that's very real, and they they didn't. Yeah. Well, in the comparison of of Amazing Amy compared to what happens with actual Amy when she's older, I think that, too... Is really poignant because she's writing a story I mean it's it's not true in this case it's not true so she's she's using the pages are the media she's just creating a story that everybody's buying into and you know the you see the parents are constantly saying we miss our amazing Amy you know TM <laughs> they're definitely trying to 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 use this as an opportunity to strengthen their brand but nobody in the media is mentioning amazing Amy anymore I mean, at first, you know, there's that scene that we already referenced with the amazing Amy is always one step ahead of me. In that same scene, she's talking to reporters and they're referencing her as, so what is amazing Amy up to? You know, and stuff like that. You know, right. so they're referencing her not as the real person, but as the fictional version of herself. So, I mean, I, th- I think this was also Amy contro- taking a narrative that was never hers. Which is the overarching point of the entire film that we didn't realize when we were watching. <laughs> yeah. You know, sometimes it takes a conversation. Yep. But, um, and, and, and that too is, inc- it, it's an incredible idea, but the vehicle that they use to, to convey this idea is just, it's, it's just, you Irresponsible. Know, there's a reason that, you know, a lot of, of, uh, of group, of, of groups of unions between uh, like writers unions and, you know, award programs will no longer accept films that use rape as a, as a, you know, a way to advance the plot. A selling point. Yeah. And there, there's a reason for that. And that's what, that's the entirety of this movie. It's some really good ideas done incredibly well. I mean, this is, this movie is so typical Fincher, the way it's shot. It's so good. And, and I so hate it good. so yeah. much. Yeah. And it's, <laughs> it's so good, but it, it's, the way it advances what it's trying to do is just so, like, it's so awful. Right. Um, all right, so the, the big question, we've talked a lot about, like, the social <laughs> aspects of this film and how we both love it as a fit, like, as, like, the way it's shot and how it's really compelling but hate what, you know, the way it does it. Right. Is this a must-see movie for you? For me? Or, just... for, or, for, or people <laughs> listening. From, from, your, from your perspective, is this a movie that everybody has to see? So I think I, I touched on it a little bit before, and without trying to sound elitist, I, I don't trust people to watch this movie and not buy into it. So I think I'm happy that I've seen this film. I wish it didn't exist. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, you know, we've, we sat down and watched this. I've, I've seen it before, so have you. Right. Um, and it took us you know, bumbling through nearly an hour of recording to actually get at the point. Right. And it's, for me, it's not so much that I don't trust the average person to not get the point. I don't trust them to put in the effort to get to the point. Like, like it's a movie with homework, basically. And it's, it's, you know, it it sounds pretty blasé of me to compare it to schoolwork, but... you know, if you, if in school, if you don't put in the work, you're going to fail. You're going to have to do it again here. If you, 
if you fail to do the work, you're going to come away with really dangerous ideas that are contradictive to everything that people have been working so hard for since 2014 and well beyond. Yes. You know? So, I mean, this movie is like a... It's, it's like napalm in your hand, you know? It's just... It's ready to blow. It's, it's just... It's, you know, but that being said, I don't think that movies should be either like banned or controlled no. just because they have dangerous content. That I mean, you can you can go into a list of, of hundreds of movies so you can say that very thing about. I, I just think that if you're going to see this, you need to understand that it's not just something you can watch and say, Great, let's let's go home and have dinner and forget forget, you know. Right. You you have to think about everything around this movie. And you know what? Either way you're gonna enjoy it, but but, <laughs> you know, enjoy responsibly. I'd like to give a special thanks to our guest, Sharon Suchecki, as well as recording engineer, Kevin Hurley. If you'd like to learn more about the Me Too movement, you can visit metoomovement.org or timesupnow.com. Join us next time as we discuss the Coen brothers' blood symbol. Marty, a Texas bar owner, discovers his wife is having an affair with one of his employees. The couple plans a life without Marty, while Marty puts a contract out on their lives. Will we get it? Will I pronounce Mission Scheme correctly? Will we jump the shark? Tune in next time to find out on Rafter Reviews. Octopus and Scrabble?